0: I'm Max And this is our podcast and today we're talking about On the Road by Jack Kerouac. We had to YouTube listen to how to pronounce his last name <laughs> and now we're here so let's get right into it. So On the Road is about literally people who are on the road.
1: Yeah it encompasses the beat generation which was a youth subculture in around the 1940s and 50s. Like after- the vegetable? Yes, like the vegetable, Madeline.
0: Okay. It I was, was post-World War II,
1: <laughs> and it was pretty much about rebellious American youth and their attempt to subvert the culture, um, yeah, and have a fun time on the road.
0: Um, I feel like, notably, they did not eat any beets in the Yeah, that isn't notable. <laughs> That's notable. Okay.
1: On the Road by Jack Kurok um, starts in the winter of 1947 and it pretty much follows Dean Moriarty and Sal Paradise um, on their journey throughout America, going through cities and adventuring. They meet new people um, and there is what well, we're going to focus on, the racial tension and the, the racism within the book and there's aspects of um, jazz culture and a lot of other cultures that come together to form the character development within the story.
0: Okay, so some more necessary information is the characters that we're going to be discussing, or I should say the character that we're going to be discussing mainly today is Sal Paradise, which is The only, I would say, fairly consistent character in the book, most people come and go, and he's the narrator of the book, and he's also a writer. He's an aspiring writer, and being on the road helps him with his writing, but he's also surrounded by influential friends of his, those being people like Dean, Carlo Marx, and Mary Lou. So... I think Jack Kurok romanticizes the marginalization of the characters that Sal Paradise interacts with. And I think that's a big part of the book because the whole idea of the book is sort of the development of Sal. And you'll see that throughout the book, he has the ability to live other people's lives for short periods of time. But these people have no way of leaving their life Mainly because they are oppressed or or minority groups of people,
1: Hey, it's Max, and our what's it called a thesis statement
0: <laughs> Yes, a thesis statement yeah, they're similar. yeah, so Max and I didn't even intend on this. We didn't read each other's thesis statements because Max changed his from when we did like our what are they called?
1: Graphic organizers?
0: Yeah, from when we did our graphic organizers, he just changed his, because he he was like, I have such a good idea, it was the same thesis statement as me, so ours are very similar, but like, I think that's fine, we can just discuss it.
1: But I pretty much have the same belief that Jack Kirk idealizes racism throughout his book, and this false depiction of black life is very damaging to how the readers perceive and react to the experiences of black people in America from what reality is through his visual um, display of the story and how his interactions are and he depicts them.
0: The first quote I have was, wishing I were a Negro, feeling that the best white world had offered me was not enough ecstasy for me not enough joy kicks darkness music not enough night and that was on page 56 of on the road and i thought what made that so conveying was the tone the offer author, author used sal in the book which is who's saying this sounds like really serious and like he's longing for something he can't have and that something is the life of a black person which he thinks is like so amazing to him and so cool I think that perpetuates the theme that like he really romanticizes the idea that like being a marginalized group or a minority group is so amazing.
1: Um, the first quote I'm gonna use from Jack Kerouac is on page 297, and it's when he pretty much states that Freddie, uh, a person he's interacting with within within the jazz culture, wore a tattered suede jacket, a purple shirt, cracked shoes, and zoot pants without press. He didn't care. This quote um, identifies that um, Kirk thought that the beauty of his disheveled life was in the lack of concern for his appearance and pretty much his perceived status. However, his disheveled life was actually in the fact that um, this group was oppressed, uh, black Americans, and he was forced into this lifestyle because of his economic disparities against white cultures.
0: So my next quote is I wish I were Denver Mexican or even a poor overworked Jap anything but I was a dreary white man disillusioned and that's on page 180 and I really went back and forth about whether I should read this quote but obviously I can't write it I did feel kind of bad though because it is kind of offensive the things he says so I apologize for that <laughs> uh, but um I think the important part about this quote and why i thought it was necessary to use it is that the author uses coiloquism in this part of the story and you can see this when he uses the offensive slang so i think that's why it's important um it shows his sort of casual relationship he has with the idea of other people's lifestyles and marginalized people's lifestyles and the fact that he wishes he was them and that he at some points identifies with them.
1: Yeah, I'd also like to add that it shows his acknowledgement of their their life and their circumstances, but his s- still desire to be or um, be a black man, or you know, to want their traits that he deems desirable. And um, I'm pretty sure in the same he proclaims um, disillusionment, which. Is the disappointment that something is not as good, valuable, or true. And he misuses this because if he was truly disillusioned, he wouldn't gloss over their hardships. You know, he would see this, but his perception is so flawed that he uses the word.
0: Yeah, okay, we're back, we're back, and Max, we already recorded this part, but we deleted it, and by we, I mean I, because it didn't sound good. It was good. He forgot to put his literary device in, and now he's trying to get back into his groove, so there's our preface for this segment. It was great. And Max trying. Here we go.
1: But the quote I used was short. It's Negro jazz shacks in the oil flats, and you might not, uh, there's no context to it, but the context is within... Um, the imagery that he uses about the jazz shacks and there's an inherent sense of inferiority put onto jazz culture which he's describing yet he idealizes the singers at these jazz shacks and so this idealization shows the romanticism that he puts on to the african-american community which is inherently racist because of his the inferiority that he shows.
0: Okay, so my final quote about my theme and with my last literary device is, um, there was an old Negro couple in the field with us. They picked cotton with the same God-blessed patients their grandfathers had practiced in Antebellum, Alabama. They moved right along their rows, bent and blue, and their bags increased. My back bent, began to ache but it was beautiful kneeling and hiding in that earth. And that was on page 215 of the book. And I think this is the most impactful quote, which is why I saved it for last, because it's quite obvious. Like It's to an extent where he is romanticizing these people's grandparents who were slaves. And I think the the literary device that sort of enhanced this quote was a euphemism, and that's when he's saying they picked with God bless patience and called the work beautiful. I think he was saying that in replacement to saying that they're being forced to do back breaking, sometimes deadly labor in hot heat. And I think this fully shows his neglect to the fact that he can enter and exit their world as he chooses and as he does. And that these people don't have a choice.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with what you said, and I think um, on the same page. He describes that he worked in the fields for an hour or two, and it was it was painful, and yet he still he still he's you know he still romanticized their efforts, and he still wanted to uh, have their lifestyle.
0: Yeah, and like he did it for an hour or two, like completely being ignorant to the fact that these people's grandparents and they are doing it for their entire lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I think it really diminishes um their life and the racism within society through his depiction within the book. Yeah, I agree. So the last quote that I'm going to be using is actually the first experience Paradise has with a black man in this story, Mr. Snow, and he describes Mr. Snow's Uh, community as the only community in America where whites and Negroes live together voluntarily and that was so and so wild and joyous a place I've never seen since this uses um, the tone like a sarcastic tone to almost diminish um, what African Americans have to face and he sees all the positives within this town without uh, you know, seeing the the racism and the segregation that African Americans face, and so this romanticized uh, vision of cultures combining and being one is is false and it damages the perception of the reader to what real life is like.
0: yeah, I agree, and I think it's it's important to end our quotes on his first experience with a black person because i think that essentially kicks off all these experiences and gets the ball rolling on our general themes and and that would be the idea of romantic romantic romanticization of these marginalized groups of people and i think max's is similar it's pretty pretty similar yeah sort of that general idea and I think that quote is really what got the ball rolling for those quotes. Okay, so we're here. We're in conclusion. We're drinking hot chocolate. Max just cracked his neck. So if there's one thing you take away from this, I think it's to apply the experience of Sal Paradise into the real world like the most obvious theme between max and i and and sort of what's you can take out of every quote and from both of our thematic statements is that when you are walking into another person's life you're not living their life so as much as you think you can sort of feel what they're feeling always take into consideration that you aren't like you really aren't
1: Yeah, I'd also like to add that, um, you know, it shows the diminished perspective of the majority in societies, you know, people believe that what they see is what it is, like you said, but when you're in a position of power and privilege, it's, it's impossible to see from the view of someone who's in a position, a minority position, or someone who's oppressed by society.
0: Yeah, I agree completely with that.